Hello, and welcome to CineDrunk, the podcast where we're drunk on cinema. Bam! And alcohol, brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your co-hosts, Matt, joined as ever by Nathan. Howdy. And Elizabeth. Hello. I love that I really got got into your head that one time. You sure did. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but what are are we here to do today? So, this is our favorite podcast of the year. Um, This is part one, I should say, of our favorite podcast of the year, where we count down our individual top ten films of 2018. So, this will be our ten through six, and then we'll be back with part two. With our five through one. Yeah. I'm glad I was able to do that math in my head. <laughs> oh, boy. So difficult. Well, we've already um, got a head start on the beverages. What are we, we sure have. drinking? We are drinking an, um, basically what I like to call the cocktail of 2018, <laughs> which is the cheapest vodka you can find, um, the cheapest club soda you can find, and the cheapest berry juice you can find <laughs> we have new amsterdam vodka welch's mountain berry juice the kind that comes in a carton and club soda mm-hmm. yep. from like a store brand off brand mm-hmm. so we're really pushing this you know like affordability angle of this drink yeah um also it's not it's no great shakes but lordy is it doing the trick it sure effective. is well it also just sort of reflects i mean actually the year in film as we'll talk about, was great. I loved and really, really liked many, many yeah. movies this yep. year. Just like alcohol is great. Right. I love alcohol. But <laughs> also this year was like a freaking shit show. And so the drink's a little bit of a shit show. You know what yeah. I mean? It's reflective of our national mood. Yes. Amen. Global Amen. mood, really. Yeah. yeah. I am pumped. I mean, this, again, like you said, it's our favorite. I, I love ranking. I love lists. I love movies. I love my own opinion. I love your opinion. <laughs> I love talking about our opinions, and I'm really God, excited. Awful, <laughs> right? Like awful people. <laughs> well, Everyone has shut off are. the podcast. Um, uh, but no, I'm really excited because I have no idea. Again, there are so many movies that we liked. Yeah. I don't know if there were as many this year that we've like outright loved, but I think right. our lists could be all over the place. I'm excited to see what your guys' lists are, uh, and I don't. I well, I can predict what collectively our number one will be. Yeah. I uh, have no idea what either of your number ones are going to be. And, I mean, I didn't know what my number one would be until, like, yesterday. So yeah. I'm excited to see where the overlap is and see so, how we assess the year. I feel like this will be a little bit like, it was either two or three years ago. It might have been 2015 when yeah. I started. We were all kind of like, eh, we didn't really like this year. And then at the end of recording the podcast, we after just... we had discussed these movies that we liked well enough, we were like, oh, maybe it was a pretty good year. Yeah, I think that'll be... Well, I was saying that, like, of the movies that I had, like, sort of starred of, I like them enough to potentially be on my top 10, I ended up ranking all the way to 30. Oh, yeah, I have a top 30. And then my top easily, like, 15, 16, any of those could be in my top 10. And, like, if we haven't sunk into the ocean in 10 years, I'll be really (laughs) curious to, like, come back and revisit this and see if my top 10 will have shifted at all. You know what I mean? Anyway. Because it's such a time capsule, too. I love that. I would go on two, maybe three dates with at least 30 movies from this past year, but I don't know that I would go on a fifth date with any single one. What a... I like that metaphor. So... And you wouldn't marry any of... I would marry... Hell no! I would marry my number one. I would marry my number one. Yeah, I'd probably marry my number one or two. But everything... But everything else, yeah, I think I would go on... Most of them like three dates. They could be long term relationships. A couple, yeah, even a couple, couple maybe but... like a one to two year. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's <laughs> dig it. Who wants? How do we cover Who wants to start okay. with number ten? I can start us off. Let's do it. Because my number ten is really wild. I love wild. <laughs> my number ten is Game Night. Yes. Yay. <laughs> uh, directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Um, listen, it's a movie design for me. It's a bunch of actors I like. It's an ensemble comedy. It's about a subject matter I am deeply interested in, which is like people who are obsessively competitive and enjoy yep. game nights, mm-hmm. which is pretty much mm-hmm. my life. Like I'm probably not that far removed from the Rachel McAdams character in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like all of the performances of the ensemble are great, but they're also keyed into the specific film. Oh, like yeah. I feel like especially nowadays, 
um, filmmakers just like comedic voices or like there are popular comedic voices and so they put them all in a movie but they don't all mesh super well together. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like this is a group where like I would believe that the six friends of the friend group who are part of the game night would actually hang out for sure and be good friends yep. and have yep. game night together. Um, it was so great to see Rachel McAdams be in a straight up comedy again because she's gold. Every single Amen. one of every single one of her line readings. Oh no, he died. So stu- everything, everything is great. When she gets like overexcited and she's mm-hmm. like, "Get on that fucking phone," he's like, "Okay, take it back a notch." And she's like, "Sorry, <laughs> sorry." Like she's just really. A lot of good physical stuff too, like yes. with the, the gun and thinking it's fake, and the, yes. them getting the bullet yeah. or trying to get the bullet out is one of my favorite scenes of the like comedy scenes of the year. Oh my gosh, it's so funny with the like I got a nice shard. Like they're just doing this like sort of <laughs> upper middle class white people thing so well too, and there are great like set pieces like the Fabergé egg oh, race yeah. around the mansion. Yep. It's great. Um, and I feel like you could watch it every time and just pick one person to be your favorite. Like, Billy Magnuson is mm-hmm. so funny. Yep. Sharon Horgan is so funny. Love. Kyle Chandler, who I love, and I, you know, love from Friday Night Lights, and I'm so used to him playing that sort of, like, steady, moral center, uh, you know, of a, of a film or a piece or whatever, and then getting to see him do this like sort of send up of this masculinity mm-hmm. that he often plays earnestly. Right. He's terrific and very, very funny. And then Jesse Plemons hmm. is the best performance of the year. I mean, Jesse Plemons is doing something completely insane. Bonkers. He's making insane choices that are 100% consistent from moment to moment. And it's the funniest, oddest, un- most unique thing I've seen. Anyways. Tostito scoops three for one. That can't be profitable for Frito Lay. <laughs> that line reading. I don't know why he's not winning the Oscar for that line reading, truly. And um, you know, we just the other night watched Clue, mm-hmm. which has, is a movie that I have loved my whole life yep. since I watched it. And I feel like Game Night is gonna be like one of those movies where for it's sure. just like yeah. a decade from now when I'm in the mood to laugh and wanna watch a fun comedy with great performances, I'm gonna put on Game Night. It's the rat race of the 21st. <laughs> I, don't I don't know about that, for that, but I, I see your point. <laughs> I'm so glad that's on your list. Yeah. I love that movie, Game Night. Yeah? All right. See it. Number Me? 10. Number 10? Yeah. yeah. My number 10 is a documentary movie called The Most Unknown, which... Oh, is, it's going to be one of those. Like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a documentary about... Um, some of the world's foremost research scientists Mm. who are all kind of researching what they, this is my interpretation, what they consider to be the most fundamental questions of existence. Mm -hmm. Like, there are several physicists studying dark matter. There's a geologist studying, like, geobiochemistry. Um, There's someone studying life in the deep-sea methane vents off the coast of South America. And... um, it's basically set up as like a series of blind dates between these scientists. They're kind of passing the baton from one scientist to the next. And so they're visiting each other in their place of research in their element. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of in different disciplines. So they're also trying to discuss their research with people who are very intelligent, but not on the same wavelength as like not doing the same kind of science as that so it's a really cool study in like interdisciplinary thought and why science um inspires us Mm -hmm. like for me it was a good reminder like here here are the questions that really matter about humanity it maybe aren't isn't aren't they're not the questions that affect us in our daily lives the most Mm -hmm. right but um it's fun to just, you know, give yourself over to that kind of thought for an hour and a half. Um, it's just such an inspiring documentary, and everyone should watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Thanks. Deep. And what was it again? The Most Unknown. The and Most that Unknown. that is The Most Unknown to Elizabeth and I, as we have not seen it. That is yeah. true. Nice choice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like That's it. That's a 10. All right. My number 10, also a documentary... 
It is Minding the Gap. Ooh. Um, Bing Lu, first-time filmmaker. Uh, Who? Bing Lu. Bing Lu, okay. Mm-hmm. He's the director. I thought you uh, said Bing. No. Bing. And also one Bing of the Lu. subjects of it. Correct, yeah. So he, it's, uh, takes place in Rockford, Illinois. It's 12 years of footage that he basically started filming because, you know, because he was a young kid interested in filmmaking, was always filming him and his friends skateboarding and their conversations and... Uh, he's compiled, you know, 12 years of footage to create this film sort right. of based on his friends. Um, it's really unassuming, super organic. Its ambitions of storytelling end up loftier than you expect. You know, it sort of starts as, as one tale and you think you know exactly what kind of movie it's going to be. You can envision all of it. It's kind of just about, okay, these young skaters yeah. in, you know, rural Illinois dealing with growing up but then it just really naturally morphs into something a lot more um it's really unexpected it's unforced uh it gives it such a power and this soft gut punch and it's obviously very deeply personal and therapeutic for being lou as a filmmaker and artist and as a person what it ends up being i don't want to say too much about what it ends up being about because i do feel like it does kind of spoil it what it's themes end up being in the end um it's uh a lot of documentaries that are super successful lately something like the only one that's coming to mind at the moment is like wiener where you're in the right place at the right time you're already making a film right on a subject but then something crazy happens and it's like whoa now this film has more meaning just because we happen to already be telling this story and that's kind of what this is but on a much smaller scale but because it's on the super intimate scale it says more it's more resonant um it's kind of exhilarating and a thrilling investigation of a portrait of just fractured wounded america and specifically masculinity right that i found really fascinating it's obviously timely and then isn't it, this was one of the movies that was like on my list to watch before we made this and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, it's nominated for Oscar. Anyway, but um, it not just masculinity, but it also is sort of interesting when it comes to race too, right? Oh, sure. Because, yeah, because like, one of the... Asian, one is African American, and yeah. one is white. And, yeah. yeah, and it's all like, it's expertly edited i think it's like the best yeah. edited movie of the year obviously because there's so much footage to to choose from it's so shocking to me that only one documentary in history has been nominated for best editing at the oscars because <laughs> right. like when you make a movie and you go in with a script obviously you know there's different takes and things to to edit together but like a documentary you're editing together real life footage and interviews and to create a narrative and so much yeah. of it yeah this is it's just so well edited and so it feels like a movie you could make yourself of your friends you know just filming what it what your life was like and how you became who you became and it's not it's just making it look easy it right it right. makes right. it's like, so good that it makes right. it look it, it makes make. it look like oh i could do that too right. and it's yeah. I mean, I can, and it's really you will be seeing the Cinemunchy, Cinedrunk <laughs> film in, like, three years, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Worth watching. That That's my number ten. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, number nine. Sure. Number nine? My number nine is a movie called Private Life. Mm, yes. With Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. It is a Netflix original movie. Yep. yep. Yes. And um, for me, like what the what made this movie stand out is that it it's kind of a, about a couple's struggle with infertility. That yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So um, that like I don't know. It made me care about that issue. It made me feel that issue. It made me feel the like the emotional topography of what infertility is when because it's for me it's something that's so far from my experience i i'm not in a heterosexual relationship i don't want kids right so that it was just very powerful right it tells it so well that it you i mean that's why we love movies too you get to put yourself in someone else's shoes and that empathy of what that experience would be like and i think it does it really well yeah i had this whole idea for you guys that i was gonna write like since I always talk about like the double feature two pack 
DVD mm-hmm. case, usually derogatorily, but I was going to, because there were a lot of movies this year that felt like they would be good companion pieces for one another. And I was actually thinking that Private Life and Tully, Tully. would be yes. really great. Very good. <clears throat> Love it. Yeah. I think also just, I mean, there's a, of course a reason that it's called Private Life and one of the best parts of the experience of this movie is the kind of tension of something that's seen as culturally private, at least for, to, yeah. yes. to a, a big degree, you know, the infertility issues you're having as a couple. Right. Um, but with, you know, very strong emotional consequences and seeing how, like, nothing is is truly private when you're talking about your relationships with family and friends and what you're struggling with and who, who helps you get through it. Yeah. So, um, I've said a whole lot of nothing, but see this movie. <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine Hahn is incredible. It's 17 on my list, which is sounds like a slam, but actually it's not because, again, really anything in my top like 20 could have been anywhere on my list. Yeah. It's a really great. And yeah, Catherine Hahn is... Yeah. She's, she might be good at acting, I think, that Catherine Hahn. I think so. <laughs> and underrewarded. Uh, why don't you tell yes. us? Great. Uh, my numero nueve, my number nine, is The Favorite. Mm-hmm. I was positively cuntstruck by this. <laughs> it's from the movie. Don't, don't worry. Wickedly wow. delightful, sharp, mischievous, possibly anachronistic at times, witty palace intrigue. Yeah. It's um, Olivia Coleman is Queen Anne whenever the hell she ruled in England, like what, 18th century? Yeah. Some, sometime. And uh, her, like, main lady-in-waiting, I guess if you even call them that, is Rachel Weisz. And they also have um, a romantic relationship, or at least sexual relationship, kind of codependent. Um, And then Emma Stone comes in and, you know, is kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, class-wise, but is used to maybe being more middle-class or upper-class. And so her ambitions kind of... She weasels her way into being the queen's right-hand lady. The favorite, you might say. The favorite, you Mm -hmm. could say. Mm -hmm. And so it's all the sort of, like, catty games that those women go through to stay on top and their ambitions. It's a killer ensemble. Such a fucking treat to watch three superb actresses, (laughs) like, swim around in such richly detailed atmosphere like obviously costumes and art yeah. direction and the cinematography all the technical stuff is is amazing but their characters are so richly drawn and they have such great rapport and push and pull with each other yeah i, I was saying just now you know swimming in this richly deep but they're also like occasionally trying to drown each other and it's yeah. like it's just it's so great to watch the three of them and that makes it so fucking fun but then it's also kind of deeper than that and quite yeah. a downer I was going to say, I would almost, like, push back at your phrase caddy, Mm. only because there's, like, a, A, it's a gendered word to describe women, and uh, it it usually sort of implies a sort of superficiality, and what I love is that even the things that seem like they are sort of, like, superfluous, superficial fights, there's actually, like, so much at stake at all times, so it's, like, on the one hand, and so we are, like, enjoying seeing them play like word games with each other but mm-hmm. at the other on the other side we know that for all three characters the stakes are extremely Super dire yeah, yeah. and they're operating in this system dominated by men where they're just trying to do everything within their power to survive and mm-hmm. like maintain some level of autonomy and power and but they are in power i mean that's what that's i love what about I mean, it but too. like yeah, to yeah, maintain yeah. it and right, right. and the manipulations that they have to use because as women that's the power that they like that's the I uh, mean caddy in the most positive no, like I, actual I, like cat and mouse type no like, I, I know you do no, but, but I just mean you, for you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no for sure and yeah. so yeah then the film is like sort of sad <laughs> it is it's this like at the same time moral like kind of morbid morality tale yeah and I think the reason it's not higher is I wasn't as emotionally moved at by the end, which I do really like the ending. I know some people are kind of yeah. ambiguous on, on whether or not they like the ending. Um, 
I did really like it, and I think this is a movie that's going to age really well. Yeah. And yeah. It, it could, over time, I could push it up further. But for right now, it's it's my number nine. And I, lo- I, I had said that it's possibly anachronistic, but I love that dichotomy of, like, yes. it's very, like, 2018, like, dark humor. Yes. But obviously it's set in this period, and I love movies like that. Like there I are mean, lots of examples, but again, it is a more biting and uh, prescient political satire than Vice ever could have oh, been. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. like it has a lot more to say about. Oh yeah, <laughs> our current political... humanity and yeah. how people interact, especially yeah. when they're in power, trying to get or gain, yeah, <laughs> or keep power. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just Yorgos Lanthimos. He didn't script it. It's co-written by two. Great writers. It's yeah. a fantastic original screenplay. One of whom is actually a woman. What? <gasps> Get out of town. But also, is like, that allowed? What? A movie that literally stars three women and has only supporting male characters actually being having their dialogue written by a woman. Oh my god. Insane. But then has such a directorial stamp too. Like Yorgos oh, yeah. Lanthimos and his like idiosyncratic touches are definitely all around it, and it's the best duck race. I think. I also think it's the best dance scene. Oh, that's a good dance. It's a good too. dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And Nicholas Holt, just pepper in some Nicholas Holt and your movie's better. Saying construct and pushing Emma Stone into a ditch. Mm -hmm. And the best, like, very indifferent hand job of the year. On screen. (laughs) On screen. Not in real life. On screen. Yeah. Just to clarify. Yep. That's my number nine, the favorite. Very nice. Nice. Uh, My number nine is a movie that I did not see until very recently. uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Nice. I like this choice. I loved this movie, and it kind of went in theaters unnoticed. Yeah, it wasn't a big hit. It wasn't a big hit. Most of the reviews seemed like middling. I knew some people quite liked it, but it was the middle. I don't know. I loved it. It's fun. It's fun. It's pulpy. Yep, very. Um, It's like... Quentin Tarantino, yeah. if he wasn't so obsessed with himself. Yeah, up his own ass. And actually yeah. had some like interesting thoughts that he wanted to explore, where he wasn't completely convinced of his own rightness. <laughs> yep. Um, it's also like almost a little bit Agatha Christie. There's oh, very much so. Some mystery involved in it. We're constantly curious about characters' machinations and motivations, um, dynamic performances. Cynthia Erivo singing Motown a cappella is like all I want yep. in a film ever. Mm-hmm. Give the me two, two hours of that. The two yeah. scenes of her doing it and it's framed so beautifully, which is like there's this secret passage behind where the hotel rooms are where you can spy. It's a two way mirror or one way mirror. <laughs> yeah. One yes. One way mirror. Two way. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Two way mirror. Two way mirror. I was two-way. right. Yeah. And then I questioned myself. I don't know. Yeah. yeah Anyways, yeah. it's like a two way mirror. So. <laughs> you know the person can observe what's happening in the rooms and then there's a switch where you can turn on and off the audio so not only is it acapella but there's like a little um distortion in the sound quality because you're like listening through a audio device Mm -hmm. and there are two scenes of her singing acapella in her hotel room that are like i was like i I just want this forever um and i also really appreciate it and i'd be curious nathan for you to watch it because he definitely has a lot of ruminations on faith Mm-hmm. both um, the importance faith can play, the transformational power faith can play, both positive and negative. Right. Like, the the pitfalls of absolute faith, specifically when it comes to, like, a cult member <laughs> or a cult leader, I should say, and his members. Um, and then faith contrasted through the Jeff Bridges character and the Cynthia Arivo character and the Lewis Pullman character, who is Bill Pullman's son. Yep. And looks so much like him in certain things. He's so good. Things, and he's so great. It is the first performance I have seen Jeff Bridges do in, like, forever, where he's, like, really acting and really trying. He's and real he's good. very, very good in it. Oh, great. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's an ensemble. It's not a murder mystery, but it has that vibe. It does. Like, like one setting. It almost feels theatrical. Yes, it's like yeah, a, yeah. yeah. When, exactly. When is it set? What are you? In the 1960s. 60s? Okay. And yeah. so you also have some like interesting stuff with race with Cynthia Rivo's character, and it's it's just really great, and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It was pulpy fun with like a little bit more on its mind, and I appreciated 
the idea is that it was uh, bring it up. Amen. Excellent. It was a fun, fun time. Yeah. Bad times at the El Royale. Yeah. So I guess that uh, is you, Matt. Goes to number eight. Uh, my number eight. We are far from the shallow now because my number eight is A Star Is Born. Oh no. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, I. I'm surprised. It, I mean, I. Incapable so of making a top ten list without A Star Is Born. I think it is pretty instantly iconic, and absolutely one of the movies of 2018 and i, I not disagree more that is fine, fine. No, plenty of people disagree um i think it's a super assured debut it's pretty stunning it's like capital h hollywood like i mean it's not a huge budget but it's you know telling a classic tale that that has been told, been told times. many times and this is its fourth time um and its first hour is I mean, hour plus, like hour fifteen minutes, is stunning. I think it's I stunning. actually, I actually agree that the. I, well, I don't know if it was stunning, but I was super on board for the first hour, and I think if it had been able to maintain that or like just been that, it could have maybe made my list of thirty at least. It sure. didn't even make that for me. Fair but. enough, but yeah, like the all the beginnings and the like the sparks of possibility in their yeah. relationship and the humor and the characters. I love the best friend character and like her coworker friend Anthony mm-hmm. Ramos. I think is his name, the mm-hmm. actor. You know. Shangela and Willem are two of my favorite drag queens. They're great. I think Gaga is really great. Mm-hmm. I liked her enough the first time, but the second time I saw it, I was like, okay, no, I, I do think this is legit and actually really great acting performance mm-hmm. and not just like directed well, which it is directed well too. But I mean, it's kind of all about Bradley Cooper. I was going to say, I actually think that Lady Gaga is a little bit, I mean, I should be positive, so I don't mean to be. No, go but, ahead. Like, I actually think that Lady Gaga in some ways is just let down by the fact that the film is actually not that interested in her. Especially in the second half, yes. Right. Yeah. And so you're limited as a performer when the film is not interested in your interiority. Right, when and... the director is the lead male actor who yeah. is has so internalized as an actor who that role is that right. then directing the film reflects that. Right. Kind of to a detriment to her character and right. the film as a whole. But it's still, what it gets right, I think, is so right. And it has some of the highest highs of any movies in 2018. Mm-hmm. Again, I love that first hour leading up to the first shallow performance is Great. like chills, goosebump inducing. And that's not even my favorite song on the um, in the movie. But the soundtrack in general, fucking love. Uh, it's aces. Um, again, it's all about Cooper. I think his, he gives the best lead actor performance of the year it, he has such great chemistry with everyone in the movie, and so that elevates all those other performances. What? He does. No, I'm, I'm laughing at the face that your husband is making. <laughs> I'm just making faces. <laughs> and it's I'm hard. really it's glad like, it's on your list. The degree no, of difficulty is no, a very I, I good movie. I actually think that he's genuinely terrific in it. Yeah, and I think the yeah. degree of difficulty in tackling this is is pretty high. Like, yeah. I mean, it's a That's basically true. a musical. He sings and plays guitar yeah. very convincingly. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's not the greatest singer, but he... He, he has a pretty good voice. He has a pretty a good enough voice that you, I believe, to. every second of him on screen as this yep. grizzled, famous grizzled. recording artist. It, it I is. also, yeah, I also absolutely. think that it is one of the most. It's actually fun because I think parts of the film really, really work, and I almost wish that they didn't go into the to version of her being a pop star and what he seems to think about pop music, which. Right, because it muddles everything. And it also is misogynistic, and I think that we should just be clear that there are some things about this film that dip into the well of misogyny that is built into the story of A Star is Born. Very fair. Which he actually backpedals some, like in previous iterations. I haven't seen any of the other ones. The misogyny is much more on display. Interesting. um, in this, but it's almost too bad from my point of view that it isn't just a story about addiction. Right. Because it is one of the most honest and convincing. uncompromising and also unticky yes. depictions yeah. of addiction that is coming from, you know, from the soul of a person rather than the theatrics of... For sure. I'm an actor and I want to play drunk and out of control. He doesn't really do that. Even his one scene where he's the most drunk, the mm-hmm. Grammys thing. Yep. It's uncomfortable because it feels real. I don't feel like I'm watching an actor be Oh no, it's tough. I think he I think he is genuinely very very good in it. And so. I think yeah, that I'm glad you brought cuz that was my next point just about his performance in general, just the yeah. the addict thing which I think the movie kind of digs into a lot because that's what he was focused on. Yeah. But just 
just in his eyes, you can see, you can see when that character is sober and when they've had one drink and when they've had ten drinks. Yeah. Like, and it's cr- like I don't know how you do that as an actor unless he was just actually drunk. But it's, and I, I know it's probably nothing changes in his eyes, but I see it, I believe it, and yeah. it's it's pretty subtle. Yeah. And the fact that he's not like actually going to win any major awards for this, and Rami Malek or Christian Bale are going to win everything yeah. is fucking crazy to me. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That's my number eight. Awesome. Not a perfect movie, but no. had to be in my top ten. It's also there a it very you movie. I it mean, I think that's the thing so. when we talk about this list. Like, yes. And we we even said, you know, we were sort of talking about it before we started recording that, you know, this has been a challenging year for all of us in our own different ways. Mm-hmm. Or so, like our personal choices this year are also like reflective of the place that we're in. Like, there's a reason that game night and bad times have so far been on my list which are both sort of lighter movies yep yep that's true (laughs) it's because that's a place that i have been in and what i have been craving this year you know amen um that's my number eight star is born it's It's to you so then on that note speaking of super light (laughs) my number eight is suspiria Ooh. Oh, okay. Luca Guadagnino's mm-hmm. remake of um, I love a the rom-com. 19th. The Dario Argento. <laughs> Dario Argento. Um, I this movie just like really burrowed into my brain, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Both the power of its imagery and set pieces, and a tone and patience that he had in the film that I don't think would be. It's not like most horror remakes, right? Like he had a point of view. And for me, it was like about the collective historical trauma and how it impacts everybody. Mm -hmm. And then how it shapes the collective psyche and how destructive that can be. And then within that, women's role within this like collective historical trauma, which often women are not central part of like they experience it but they have very little control in the sort of destiny of it Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. often sort of along for the ride and so women then coming into their power within that trauma as a response to that trauma and how that power can be both awesome and destructive um and like what happens when that's unharnessed and how women can hurt each other within that process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the scores were incredible. The visuals were incredible. I really liked Dakota Johnson. I really liked Tilda Swinton. Tilda. Mm-hmm. I really liked, uh, mm. what's her face? Mia Goth. Oh yeah. Um, it just is a movie that like has really stayed with me and I don't know that he like totally lands everything that he's going for, but there's something so audacious in the fact that he's taking this like cult horror film that is all about a specific visual mm-hmm. the argento right yep and he's like i'm gonna remake it i'm gonna use none of that i'm gonna have a completely different aesthetic choice and then i'm gonna make it about reckoning with the holocaust yep yeah <laughs> and i just like <laughs> you know what i mean it's so audacious and so incredible that i haven't been able to forget it so i don't nice. really know what to say from one remake to another. Yeah. It's also like one of many films that are in my 30 list that are focused, female narrative focused, and one of also many that are in my top 30 that have almost exclusively female casts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. what I wanted to see this year. <laughs> yep. I definitely loved the audacity yeah. of it. And visually, I, I think it's really stunning. Yeah. I also think Suspiria and Hereditary would make a terrific Ooh, yeah. oh, double feature. Both a about tough sit, a tough a sit, movie. but also yeah. both about like dealing with passed on trauma. One trauma more grief, of a yeah. like uh, historical cultural trauma, and another of the personal tra- trauma of interpersonal, loss. like familial. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, awesome that has choice. been my TED talk. Thank you for coming. <laughs> What Nathan, what's your number eight? My number eight is Oh Lucy! Exclamation oh. point. <laughs> I heard it um, in the... <laughs> so Oh Lucy, we haven't talked about yet, but it's about a woman in Tokyo. She, In my mind, she's approaching middle age, but I, I'm really bad at ages. So anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's Not right. super relevant, except she 
somewhat because she's kind of like she's unhappy she's stuck in a rut she's stuck in her routine i think it's one of those one of the many movies every year that come out that are basically about depression um in in a large in large part um so she's stuck in her rut whatever her job that she doesn't love and then she takes an english class with um josh hartnett who's the english teacher Mm -hmm. and she develops this alter ego named lucy she you know, wears a blonde wig and in English class her her alter ego is Lucy. And so she kind of takes that and runs with it and it ends up being a bit of a road movie or at least, you know, a fly over the Pacific Ocean movie <laughs> and then a road yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> but <clears throat> I think it's, it's interesting because it's like <clears throat> she's desperately seeking this novelty in her life or just... She's desperately seeking to shake things up, just have something different happen. Mm-hmm. And it, the movie, a lot of it is about how great that can be and about how we crave that as humans, but also about how destructive that can be. Even when you really need it, it can still destroy you or get you into trouble. Um, so that really resonated with me just in general. Um, I don't know if I read the film exactly the same way, but I love that you did. That's fine. Yeah, no, um, that's amazing. Yeah. That's what I love too. Films are personal. Great, experience absolutely. Them. Yeah, and it, I think that's that's pretty much it. I don't really want to give plot points away. Yeah, um, it's best beyond just... that experience. Yeah, but it's a it's quirky. It's personal. Not that it's, it's plot intimate. Driven, it's it's like, not going right. to be. It's not for everyone. But tone. it really worked for me and. Um, it was it was super fun and it's also like there's lots of comedy but it's it's essentially a drama which is something i respond to, mm-hmm. to. a dramedy like that's melancholy really like, humor melancholy humor yeah yeah for sure I, fe- I feel like we all like if we were making venn diagrams of like places we overlap in film taste i feel like melancholy comedic films about middle-aged women yeah, like discovering is. themselves yeah ding, ding, it's ding. really just i have not seen <laughs> that's a, a sweet spot I've not seen a Lucy, yeah. but, it yeah. is i believe streaming on hulu so check it out if you haven't seen it very nice nice good choice mm-hmm. right, so to our to number, seven. number seven lucky seven. Ooh, this is where my list gets fun uh-oh, uh-oh. Number seven is mission impossible fallout yeah. yes. <laughs> nice um it is so much fucking fun. Yep. Um, it's exhilarating. I got out of the movie. It was a summer movie, so I biked to the theater and I got out of the movie and I wanted to like bike as fast as I could home because my adrenaline was pumping mm-hmm. from sitting in a dark movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and the action is also clear and easy to follow. Oh yes. Which yeah. I appreciate, and it's all almost. It's almost all practical. Right, insane. Um, so it yeah. feels real, and I feel like we've, especially with the glut of like superhero movies and the like skyscrapers and the whatever, where like all of these action films are made now on green screens in Atlanta in a warehouse. Like mm-hmm. nothing is done practically anymore, and so just seeing something that's like flesh and blood and literal broken bones. Right. <laughs> it's like it. it it has a power and it's spectacular. And McCory is so Christopher McCory, the director, is so good at making action set pieces that are both easy to follow, thrilling, and like further character and further narrative and reveal things about who the characters are. McCory also has so <laughs> our mutual friend Cameron. He and I text all the time about movies, and I feel like if you went through our text from the last six months it's been like almost exclusively about two movies and this is one of them <laughs> of him just being like listen to this podcast with christopher mccory that's four hours long where he goes through every single thing but christopher <laughs> mccory has a thing where he has a no damsels in distress rule nice. and it's present in all of the films now that he's done with tom cruise and it's so great to see these like women and this film has four and one of them is I don't know, like an arms dealer. Vanessa Kirby. Vanessa Kirby. Mm-hmm. So she's like capable of fighting her. and protecting herself, whatever. And the other is like a super spy, Elsa Faust, who continues to be Rebecca Ferguson, like one of my love, love, favorite love. characters. And I would watch a spin off of her. Yep. I just love her. And then um, 
Michelle Monaghan comes back as Tom Cruise's character, like, ex-wife, and she's a doctor, and in the movie that she features prominently in, she is just a MacGuffin and damsel in distress. Like, that is her sole purpose. Is that the third? Prior the third, yeah. 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 It's to just be, like, the weak spot for Tom Cruise's character that he has to constantly right. be saving. Right, she's a device, yeah. And in this, she's almost set up to be a device, and, like, during that scene, you see her still taking active control over her role in that and helping out and like just realizing like no she's an autonomous woman who has her own wants and desires and like can yeah take care of herself in with the skills that she has which are different from the like super spies we're seeing um but it's just like great to see an action film where again women are active it's part of the reason i love black panther this year too mm-hmm um, and then also, you know, I just feel like it should be number seven because Tom Cruise, what more can he do for us? Yeah, he's like literally going to die making one of these movies. Cause yep. he's like, you want me to throw myself out of a plane? Great. I'll do it. You want me to break my ankle jumping out of a window and then keep going, keep running yep. on my broken foot because sure, sure. I'll it do it. And I just feel like, you know, with that sort of commitment, the movie's fucking rad. It's super fun. It's my number seven. It's such an unexpectedly successful franchise, too, that just, like, keeps getting better and better. Like, the last three have been unbelievably awesome. awesome. They're, like, the pinnacle of great yeah. action movies lately. Like, no, it's I know a lot of people sure talk about the, the Bourne franchise. movies, and I love the Bourne movies, but, like, this, it's, like, the new James Bond, and yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. Excellent choice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Are we on seven? We're on your seven. Is it my seven? That was her seven. Now you're seven. My seven is Roma. Mm. Heard of it. Another mm-hmm. Netflix movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this one directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who is... Yeah. At certain times, <laughs> I've definitely said he's my favorite director. So this is a director I love. This is um, a subject matter I love. It follows... Um, it's an intimate story following kind of the daily life of... Um, a domestic a worker. A domestic worker in 1960s? 70s. 70s. 70s early 70s mm-hmm. Mexico. Um, based on his own Based on his childhood, childhood and, and, you know, people have said this is the movie he really wanted to make for, well, I don't know what they say. Personal you, reasons, I don't know. Like, it, it's a movie he's wanted to make for yeah. a very long time. Yeah. Um, Stunning cinematography because it's yeah. a own film. Intimate yet rich storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like richly drawn characters and characters who we don't see often as protagonists in film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like a good um, reminder of like the maxim no ideas but in things. Like you can't like just if you're writing fiction for example like just write about shit that's happening and about real things don't like it's it's like don't show don't or um show don't tell show don't tell like you get at these ideas about humanity and about life by focusing on concrete things that are happening Mm -hmm. not not by focusing on abstract ideas Mm mm-hmm in the storytelling, I mean. Yeah. And so, you know, you see her washing the floor, and you see them going to the beach, and you see, um, you know, just a lot of just action. Mm-hmm. And small action. Not not action like an action film, but like right. things are happening in small ways. Mundane. Mundane things are happening. And it's another movie where the editing is stunning mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when you think about all the directions this movie could have gone in yeah um it's wonderful it it's like it's a movie i wanted to be higher on the list mm-hmm. i guess because it's like sure. up mm-hmm. my alley because you like appreciate it but don't necessarily love exactly it yeah personally yeah. but like everyone should see it yeah. and sure. if it does win best picture i think it's a fabulous best picture yeah i Agreed. hope so yeah so. I love that because it's such a personal movie for Alfonso Cuarón as the filmmaker, you could easily have a version of that movie that centers on the one boy. of the little kids, one of the boys right. that's like him. And like you see the Jalitza Aparicio character like 
in the background and like sure it's maybe profound but it's centered on this especially a lot of foreign films do that and that's like an easy way to get american audiences on board with your film is either like war or children experiencing them like then you can experience the world through their innocent eyes right but this is like nope the lead is this domestic worker and it is going to center on her and also not in a patronizing way not at all not which it could be not in a the help type of way Right. right you know um yeah like if you had told me that it was written by a woman or someone from that experience i would believe it yeah. like he obviously Feels authentic yeah yeah he obviously cared deeply about the humanity of the woman he was portraying right, right. and not necessarily and what he meant to he her yeah. and then gave yeah. it his usual like epic scope and scale for this yeah. really intimate story i mean there are a couple of like breathtaking Oh, it's yeah. a, it's another Secret example. Uh, the last movie that made me feel like this was Mad Max, actually, mm. Ooh. Fury Road, uh-huh. which is like, this is why film exists as a me- as an artistic medium. Yeah, to make shit like this that is just like you can only do with film, the like expansive scene of the, of a uh, family banding together to put out a fire on their property. Oh, yeah. Love yeah. that. Like Love just that scene. just the. And then the guy comes the poetry and of that is yeah yeah worth it alone. It's artistically risky. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'll I mean I'll share. It didn't make my top ten. It's number eighteen. But again, it could have been in my top ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is I literally just watched it too, so I haven't had a lot of time to like process well, like it. Let it sink yeah. in. Or, but yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a stunning film, and even though it's right now eighteen on my list, I would be thrilled if it won Best Picture. It's a yeah. complete achievement. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I and I was for most of it I was like all right I'm feeling a little bit emotionally removed from it though, and then that that scene on the beach happened and mm-hmm. a large part of it is Yalitza's performance yeah. like oh she's so good I, and that whole scene is one fucking take I know and yeah. it was just it was interesting because I really was like my I was already like making the review in my head right where I was like it's stunning and beautiful but it, I was a little bit kind of like when we saw Cold War mm-hmm. we said we admire it more than we liked it yep. And so I was almost like already there and then that scene happened and I was like, <gasps> and then started sobbing. <laughs> the, the birth scene that really yeah. gets to Well, that it was I mean, like, it was like, had been like the build up. Like it started, oh, sure. it started in the birth scene and then that, and then it just happened so quickly that she's back at the house and then they're going to the, the beach. beach. And yeah, it's. Wa- you know what I mean? Like I think that final chunk was Especially because it like, starts quite slow and yeah. the way it, it builds so naturally. It, yeah. And the birth scene goes so fast that I think that like cathartic emotional moment I was waiting for doesn't happen for me in that scene. Until the beach because scene. Because it's almost so clinical in a way that's like actually very effective. It's yep. clinical and fast and... Sh- and another and one take. True. And feels true. Another yeah. one take and then... So then, anyways, when that beach scene came, I was, like, very emotionally moved. I mean, now talking about it, I'm like, why is it on my number 18 and not higher? But it's great. Yeah. It's an excellent choice. Agreed. Uh, well, now, to me, my number seven, well, Elizabeth, yours was all about, like, adrenaline. <laughs> my number seven, uh, another documentary on my list, and one that I just saw yesterday, so it's a little too recency bias, is Free Solo. Yeah, buddy. Wow. The film wow. by Elizabeth Chai Vosser Halley and her hubby co-filmmaker Jimmy Chin, mm-hmm. who is a climber. It's about Alex Honold, Honold, mm-hmm. um, who's a professional climber, um, you know, climbs mountains and walls and does it best solo like without ropes which is fucking insane yep yeah um, it's all about his like leading up to and then ultimately climbing el capitan in yosemite which is this giant like two thousand plus foot like wall yeah is that granite. the icon of yeah yosemite? like yes. that's that yeah, the yeah yeah okay. yeah it's gigantic and scary uh it is just fucking gripping white knuckle intense yeah uh just a jaw dropper it is appropriately like epic and lofty as like a film and like obviously you know it's really visually cool to like film you know like a imax documentary like at a science museum like someone climbing and like the nature of it all but it's also distinctly small and human and grounded and really really a psychological profile of him yeah it's super rooted very fascinating empathy and it shows us enough 
to understand the biggest question of like why the fuck would someone do this because just no hell no you are risking death every time you do that why so it shows you it's a it's a great film just the nuts and bolts of it just showing you the mechanics of how he climbs it and like the minutiae of like the different grips and like the chalk and like how you actually free climb or free so whatever the actual terminology is woven with enough of the who and like his relationships and it so naturally weaves all of the people that are around him in his life like Mm -hmm. this semi-new budding relationship with his girlfriend and then them getting a house and like his fellow climbers who understand and respect and appreciate what he's doing and what he's hoping to accomplish but are also like worried as fuck for him and like Jimmy Chin one of the co-directors is a climber and you see him in it sometimes so then it's like this pretty organic uh like concern of okay I'm filming this movie and like they're very not meta but like the movie is aware that it is filming this movie that I am watching yeah it's interesting when they how much does that get in the way and it's also interesting that they actually like on camera discuss the like sort of ethical moral quandary that they are in of like is it moral to make this film when we know we could film him his dying? death yeah. yeah like yeah it's crazy i love um it's also great just that like so jimmy chin is a climber but then all of the cinematographers like all of the cameramen are also, also. climbers yeah so just like the footage is fucking stunning because yep. they're on the rock face with and him. And <laughs> the most respectful of how to like yeah. film everything but also stay out of his way. Right. Um, I love just this, I'm going to paraphrase it, but David Ehrlich for IndieWire said something about that there's no denying the domestic scenes are more powerful because you appreciate the madness of what he's trying to do and then the climbing scenes are more powerful because you appreciate the full extent of what he's risking to do it. Right. And I think all of that, like, together... I mean, it's outwardly insane suicidal behavior. Yes. But you understand the the passion behind, like, why he's doing it. And that spoke to me a lot in my mid-30s. Yes. And I just, like, fuck, this guy knows exactly what is the most passionate thing in life for him and come hell or high water that's what he has to do yeah he will sacrifice everything else and risk death because i mean as he says in the movie like it's either perfection or death yeah like there's no middle ground in free climbing yeah you will successfully get to the top or you will have a the smallest mistake and there's no safety net you will die yeah it's insane uh but like climbing it has just the movie generally has a great build and an incredible balance between the actual adrenaline junkie and the human and then the human yeah yeah like personal yeah that is my number 16 (laughs) nice it's a great movie yeah, um, it is cathartic and yeah. gasping i was sweating like through my shirt just watching it and i <laughs> I, I nathan gasps a lot just in general like if he almost drops something or anything the smallest thing will happen and he gasps and i felt like i was nathan because i was audibly and i saw this by myself yeah just audibly gasping and like shifting in my seat because it is so it's just so fucking gripping i have a hard time and it's weird now that i've already had two documentaries in my list i have a hard time like judging documentaries next to narrative features because they're just so different it's apples to oranges comparisons but this reminded me a lot of grizzly man which is i think one of the best documentaries i've ever seen yeah which is similarly about like a guy who has a passion that is just kind of so focused and suicidal and like how much he loves living with fucking bears that of course he died this obviously because it was really like he's successful he climbs el capitan he's still alive for now right so you know different outcomes but it just it reminded me of that and it had the same kind of impact again i just literally saw this yesterday but yeah in thinking about what else was going to be on my list i was like no you know what that actually i think it just objectively was a really good film it went from being like Maybe it'll make my list at 10 or 9 to... No, it's actually going to be higher. It's my number 7. Yeah. You know, actually, speaking of my wanting to do your DVD Mm -hmm. (laughs) two-pack list for you, the first idea I had of it was that I think Free Solo would be an incredible double feature with First Man. Ooh. Because they are really both about the psychology of these men who their ambitions are 
so lofty and incredible and we well, pushing, celebrate them and they're pushing the boundaries of what we are physically like able right on the to edge do. of what humans are capable of yeah. right yeah. but it's also like vaguely suicidal and what is that right psychology. like humans shouldn't be doing that but yeah i just great. think that those two movies because we saw them very close together and i was like this is this <laughs> like these two movies would be an amazing double feature and i also really would love to watch the footage of annex alex honnold actually doing the free climb with the Justin Hurwitz landing Ooh, track. music from First Man. From First yes. Man playing over it. So, anyway. Interesting. <laughs> Would watch. Yeah, that's my number seven. Nice. We are down to our number six. Yeah, starting with Nathan. Okay, here we go. My number six is Crazy Rich Asians. Yes! Crazy. And the main reason, well, not the main reason. So, first of all, this is the first romantic comedy I've, I've loved in... At least 10 years, maybe 20. Yeah. Damn. Just in general. So, like, that's yeah. why it's on here. Because I, it was so much fun. And yeah. it, the stakes were always clear. I think everyone's familiar enough with Crazy Rich Agents. I don't have to give a sure. synopsis. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The stakes are clear. The script is tight. The It's fun throughout. <laughs> yes. Um it's a movie that feels like a free vacation. I did watch it on a plane, which probably honestly helped. That's the first great, time that it's helped movie. me it's enjoy a, a movie. movie. Yep. Um, and it has some of the same, you know, minorly problematic stuff that rom-coms have. Like, you know, misogynist tendencies that are probably more just a reflection of what women deal with in the world. Right. And, you know, a gay character that's kind of whatever. Not, not super nuanced right but it didn't bother me too much because it's like you know it 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 was deliberately following the mold to some extent right while being like one of the best examples of that mold and with asian characters or like asian actual you know people (laughs) actors playing yeah emma stone playing asian people (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it was all just very refreshing, very fun, and I loved every minute of it. And I think, you know, like many people, I probably, I would imagine, I really want to play mahjong. <laughs> yeah. Like, get into it. Yeah. I'm down. I don't know how, but I should learn that. But yeah, that's, that's yeah. probably all I have to say about it. But I mean, I I so. also loved in that movie that um, you know, you said it's like a very sort of typical like Hollywood rom-com but with asian actors and like asian characters which is true but i also like that it's not just like you know blind casting like their asianness is actually important it's essential it's yeah. like the the film does deal with identity and specifically the identity of an immigrant versus a non-immigrant like i appreciated that the film actually like Rachel's identity as Asian American and coming to understand how that is different from actually being Chinese. Right. Is it, you know what I mean? It's It plays a crucial part within it and I think that that's great that they're able to have this like cultural thing that I think, I mean, I just to share like my boyfriend is Chinese American and I really didn't know until I started dating him and meeting a lot of his friends who are first generation American that like being first generation is like very confusing in a lot of ways and like Mm -hmm. your identity there's like a lot built into that that I just don't know and don't experience and I kind of wasn't aware of until I was exposed to it and so the fact that it is a major plot point in a broad mainstream film that made like 200 million dollars and so a lot of non-asian people also saw it Mm -hmm. like i don't know it just sort of like deepens our cultural understanding of people whose stories we don't get to see very much for sure in a more real way yeah that's sort of nice it's a treat Mm -hmm. it was my number 12 nice all right also everyone in that movie is Oh, they're so sexy. Gorgeous. I mean, the movie is gorgeous, too. (laughs) Looks like a million bucks. All right, my number six, uh, our first repeat, is Private Life. The Netflix film from... That's our first repeat? I think so. Yeah, Yeah. from Tamara Jenkins, or Tamara Jenkins, who did Slums of Beverly Hills, like, 20 years ago, which I love, Mm -hmm. underrated, and then, like, 10-ish... 
12 years ago did um, The Savages, the mm-hmm. sibling dramedy with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and a great Laura Linney. Finally gets to make her third film. This is why I'm so appreciative for Netflix. Like, it's not sustainable, but <clears throat> for having enough money right now to be like, oh, you want to make a movie? Here you go. Go ahead. Carte blanche. And why when Sean Penn writes an essay being like, how dare you not nominate Bradley Cooper for best director? He really deserved it. I'm like, could you maybe use your star power to advocate for women who are struggling to make their third feature? He did that. Oh, yeah. It just yeah, came it out. just came out. I did not read it, and I shan't. Nor did I. I just know it exists. Ooh, yep. Anyways, sorry. But yeah, I co-sign everything Nathan already said about Private Life. It is a real gem. It is hilarious and sharp and so lived in. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we live in New York, obviously. Not obviously, but we do. This is a fact. Uh, but <laughs> it, it gets New York. Get yourself from my voice. It's, we live in it gets New York, New York really it's right. Just the, the setting and, like, class and... Yeah. The performances are so lived in. Molly Shannon is so great. She yeah. is a secret weapon. Catherine Hahn and Paul, G- Paul Giamatti is similar to like Jeff Bridges in Bad Times. Same. Like he acts yeah. a lot, and sometimes he's well. He, just two years ago, he was like awful as a music manager in those like <laughs> two or three different films. He's really great in this movie, yeah. and I love the two of them together. Um, yeah, like yeah, you had I, said, it's like a subject that we don't see very yeah. often, but clearly, lots of people go through some version of this or like aspects of it and yeah. it it felt authentic and like invasively personal but that peek inside offered I don't know just such a clarity of the emotions of what people that go through that do. like I was able to put myself in their shoes and I feel like I was all the better for it it's like relatably frustrating I think that's one of the best endings of the year that like just devastating kind of ambiguous final shot that lingers kind of like um calling by your name or michael clayton like it just it keeps the camera on them no fuss no dialogue as the credits roll it's just so fucking powerful and that's definitely what helped put it all the way up to number six um yeah yeah. i think it's there's a few moments that are a little Mm sitcom-y it's maybe a touch too long but in general i think it's one of the top ten of the year. It's my number six. Private yeah. Life on Netflix. Check it out. It was 17 for me, but mm-hmm. again, all my top 20. Like, anywhere in the top ten. All mm-hmm. really phenomenal movies. Amen. Um, my number six is the best horror film of the year. Um, the film that horrified me the most, and I don't think I can probably ever watch it again. Eighth Grade. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. By Bo Burnham. Okay. Um... I really, I had to sort of settle with this because I did not enjoy watching it, (laughs) which is why I'm like almost surprised it's on my list, except for it stuck with me, but I didn't enjoy watching it because all of her embarrassment and vulnerability and awkwardness is like, and because of the fact that they cast an actress who is actually 13 or 14 and like looks like a regular kid, not a movie star kid, like... And I say that in the nicest, like, really the best way. Because yep. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, Elsie is incredible in this film. Like, <laughs> there were things that reminded me of my childhood or, like, even now. Her panic going into a pool, pool party. party yeah. It's one of the best distillations of both that middle school fear and also a fear that I still have sometimes going to large social gatherings. Yeah, just anxiety in general. Anxiety yeah. in general. Um her grappling with not liking herself and what she wants to be and who she wants to be and trying to figure that out. Um, You know, and I think one of the reasons the film is so successful is that it's both like very specific about the current time with its use of like social media Mm -hmm. and all of that, which is like not what we had growing up. Right. But because it's so specific, it ends up being so incredibly universal that I think anybody watching, I think a middle schooler or high schooler watching this movie now would completely identify. But I also think people our age were watching it completely identifying it. And I think that when, you know, 20 years from now, people who are in middle school watch it and the technology has evolved and whatever, like they're still going (laughs) to. But then it's also like a perfect time capsule for youth and culture at this very exact moment without being like, Timestamped, and now we're gonna right. put in a reference to Twitter and this, right. yes. like, it, yeah. like it's in there, but it's 
just loosely in there. Right. It's just within the like or, the the like yeah the organism of like what the setting is like the world building and what almost. those yeah. yeah characters would actually deal with and how right. they would speak. Yeah. Um. I you know I think Elsie Fisher's performance is so astonishing in a way that I'm like I don't believe she's acting. Yeah. No. And then you watch her in an interview and she's totally confident and different. And then you hear that in the script, Bo Burnham literally wrote every, uh, and, um, like every inflection, every inflection was in the script that she was performing, which seems like something she's doing in the moment. And then it all sort of culminates in the scene that I have not been able to shake, which is that scene around the fire pit with her dad. Yeah. That is just like, Ugh, I'm like tearing up thinking about it right now. It's both profound and the reason it's profound is because his answer is not great. <laughs> like, I mean, it's great, but in a very like, this is off the top of my head and I'm a dad and I also don't know how to talk to my daughter, yeah. but I want her to know that I love her way. Like, it's not a, it's not a speechified, scripted, pre-packaged, That's pre-packaged scene. Like, there's something so incredibly authentic and... Um, off the you know off the cuff about right it feels natural and that's there's a great i I think it was that vulture that was talking to bo burnham about that scene yeah and just that you know he could have sat down and like really combed through it and edited it to be like these are the exact words that are perfect for this but that character it's so much more important the the way it's delivered like right. her question now i'm gonna start fucking tearing up is, <laughs> do i make you sad and yeah. as a dad like he you can see like the instant like kind of relief that okay i, I actually know that she could have asked any other question like right. how do i get more friends how do i be more cool why don't i that like I don't myself know how to that answer. he wouldn't know how to communicate but to ask him do i make you sad fuck no of course not you're my daughter i love you and so right. he spits out this like one page monologue full of you know, he goes back and forth and kind yeah. of, it's, it's not perfectly scripted, but it's so much more about the way he communicates to her that absolutely yeah. not. You do not make me sad ever yeah. at any point. I love you. I'm so proud of you. And that I, he just kept that in as, as it, as he had first written it is, is part of what makes the movie so great and authentic. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally, for our listeners, I'm watching Matt describe that scene and I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's... That scene is just so... Affecting. Incredible, but the whole movie's great, and I still can't believe like sort of that and like the Alfonso Cuaron, right? Which is like you know, there's a lot of talk about who should tell what stories, especially when you're telling the story of a group and often a marginalized group that is not one of your own. And Bo Burnham is a straight white guy, but he clearly took the care to actually like research and have profound interest in young girls' psyches and what they go through and. It's, you know what I mean? It doesn't... In this current generation. In this current generation. Like, I don't watch it feeling like this is a man's interpretation of a young girl's Mm. experience. It feels like a young girl's experience. Mm. And he was... It meant something to him to make that be honest and respectful and truthful. Yeah. Much in the way that, like, Alfonso Cuaron with, you know, his domestic worker. Anyways. And to show their humanity first and foremost. Yep. 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 And having said that, I mean, I think I would maybe watch the fire pit scene again, although then I would, like, cry hysterically. But I don't know if I could watch the movie again. Because I was really... <laughs> Too intense. It was really, like, traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I experienced a lot of feelings that I never want to experience again. <laughs> and I went through in my puberty, so... I feel like that just means he got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Or they did. The whole... All the collaborators. All the collaborators. Yes. All right, so we have one more... Number six, or was I the last? You were the last. That's our 10 through 6. Amazing. Stay tuned. We'll have a part two with our top five favorite fucking films of 2018. Crazy Town. Yay, bye.